Thanks for taking time to watch this video message. Our mission here at Crosspoint is to relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus. And we pray that by watching, you experience both the hope and love he has to offer you. If you have questions or need more information on the ministries of our church, visit us online at crosspointcity.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Cool. Let's grab our Bibles, or if you have a device with a Version app, uh, you can turn your Bibles on. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, last Sunday, we restarted a four-part series that began two summers ago called Best Sermon Ever. And in this series, we're simply walking through the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Now, so far, we have covered Matthew 5 in its entirety. You can find all those messages online at crosspointcity.com. And last Sunday, we started in on Matthew chapter 6. Now, look, if you were here, you should remember me telling you that in Matthew 6, Jesus hammers on one big idea, religious hypocrisy. Now, religious hypocrisy is different than what some of us might think of when we think of hypocrisy. A lot of people think of hypocrisy as this. Uh, a person claiming to be good and godly, doing sinful, ungodly things. But according to Jesus, hypocrisy is so much more than that. Uh, go back to Matthew 6, verse 1, if you have your Bibles open with me. We're going to read this again. And if you don't have anything with you, follow along with me on the screens. Here's what Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, last Sunday, I told you that religious hypocrisy characterized the lives of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Even though these men appeared outwardly to be fully devoted to God and all of his commands, uh, they spent their lives doing what Jesus taught against here in verse 1. Look, they practiced their righteousness before other people, not to honor God and please him, but to impress others that they might be honored. And as a result, we find Jesus all throughout the Gospels calling these men hypocrites. Look, here's the big idea. A hypocrite is not just the person who claims to be good and godly while doing sinful, ungodly things. A hypocrite is also the person who appears good and godly by doing good and godly things, all while doing those things with the wrong motivation. I mentioned this last Sunday, but I'm going to mention it again. All right, if you take a note, you can write it down. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is a bad thing. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is a bad thing. Look, you can be in church week in and week out. You can serve. You can give. You can be in a group. You can participate in Bless Weekend. Be the first one to sign up. Uh, you, you can spend time in this community uh, serving those in need. But I'm telling you, if you're doing those right things for the wrong reasons, that's a bad thing. According to Jesus, please don't miss this. Why we do what we do is far more important than what we do. And today we're going to begin talking about that truth as it concerns prayer. Now, before we really dig into the passage uh, that we're going to spend time walking through, I thought I'd just ask some questions. We're going to have a moment of honesty together if we can, okay? And as I ask these, I just want you to think about whether or not they're true of you now or they've ever been true of you over the course of your life. So let me ask. All right, here we go. Have you ever failed to have a consistent prayer life? Have you wondered at times if you were praying in the right way? Have you ever struggled to know exactly what you needed to pray for and exactly how to pray for it? 
And then finally, have you ever discounted or disregarded prayer because you were unsure if God was listening or if your prayers were really working? I'm curious, look, how many of us in the room answered yes to at least one of those questions? That's like everybody in the room. All right, look, I'll be honest. Thank you for your honesty. I'll be honest. And I'll tell you, man, I'm raising my hand right along with you. There have been moments and seasons in my life in which I have really struggled with prayer. And I think the reason so many of us struggle with prayer at times is this. Because prayer can tend to be a really confusing thing, right? I mean, am I telling the truth? And because prayer oftentimes confuses us, our default then becomes to neglect prayer. And as a result, we miss out on all that prayer is and all that it offers. But look, it doesn't have to be that way. There's good news. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus clears up the confusion. He tells us exactly what prayer is. He teaches us how to pray. And he talks about the reward that belongs to us in prayer. But here's what I find so interesting. Jesus doesn't just rush into those things. The first thing he does is this. He teaches us how not to pray. And why does he do this? Well, as we're going to see today, it's simple. Because according to Jesus, when religious hypocrisy creeps into our prayer lives, we miss out on prayer in much the same way as that person who never prays. So let's dive into the passage. We're going to start in verse 5. And we're going to learn from Jesus today how not to pray. All right, verse 5, Matthew 6. Here's what Jesus says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, in these verses, we see Jesus using the same pattern that we saw him using last week when we talked about giving, right? He, he gives us a threefold approach to religious hypocrisy in prayer. Uh, first, he gives us its description. He tells us what it looks like. Secondly, he talks about its reward. And then thirdly, he teaches us how to pray in the right way. And he tells us the reward we'll experience in doing so. And so we're just going to keep it real easy, and we're going to use that same pattern to make sense of our passage for today, all right? So if you're taking notes, you can write this stuff down. First, what does religious hypocrisy in prayer look like? Well, here's what it looks like. It looks like you and I praying to impress others. Like giving, prayer was a pillar of religious devotion for the Jewish people during Jesus' time on earth. There were set times of prayer that happened in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And when those designated times arrived, the Jewish people would literally put everything on hold. And they would pray, no matter where they were or what was going on. Well, as Jesus told us in verse 5, look, the hypocrites at those designated times would just so happen to find themselves in the crowded synagogues or or on the busiest of street corners. Kind of crazy how that could have happened, right? pure coincidence, and they would pray out loud in order to impress others with their eloquent and godly prayers. You see, these religious hypocrites were praying not to God, but for people. And when I say they were praying for people, I don't mean like for the good or for the needs of people. I mean, they were praying for the purpose of impressing other people. Now look, before we go beating up on these guys too badly, can we just stop and confess that this is a temptation that every single one of us face in prayer. We all face it, right? The temptation to pray not to God, but for people. I'd even bet this is one of the reasons some of us in the room refuse to pray in public settings. 
it's because we lack confidence in our ability to pray a prayer that would leave others impressed. I'd preach all day to some of us, won't it? I'll be honest and tell you, I, I face this temptation week in and week out as your pastor, as the guy who has to step on the stage and preach. I have to check myself constantly to make sure that I'm not preaching a sermon and then using my prayer at the end of the sermon to preach another sermon. Does that make sense? You see, if I did so, I would be praying not to God, but for you, and that would make me a religious hypocrite. Look, here's the good news for us. If you're going, well, am I guilty of this? It's easy to know. It's easy to know when religious hypocrisy has crept into your prayer life. And I want to help you know today, all right? I'm just going to read some things to you so you can listen in. Here we go. Look, if when you pray, the volume and tone of your voice changes entirely, you might be a religious hypocrite. If you quote every single Bible verse you know every time you pray publicly, you might be a religious hypocrite. If you're the person that uses theological terms in your prayers that no one knows or understands, you might be a religious hypocrite. If you're the person that prays with one eye open so that you can gauge the reaction of the room around you as you pray, well, you might be a religious hypocrite. If your public prayers are about convicting, convincing, changing, or challenging those listening to you pray, you might be a religious hypocrite. And finally, if your goal in prayer is to see how many grunts, uh-huhs, praise gods, or amens you can get out of the crowd of people listening to you pray, you might be a religious hypocrite. Listen, I could keep going, but I think you get the right I think you get the idea, right? I kind of feel like I need to tell you you might be a redneck joke right now, but I'm not going to. I'm just not that guy. Look, you get the idea. And what's the idea? The big idea, it's simple. If when you pray, you pray not to God, but for other people, religious hypocrisy has crept into your prayer life. And if this is you, the big question we got to answer next is what's your reward? Well, according to what Jesus told us in verse 5, here's your reward. People will be impressed. That's the reward. Look, while people might praise you for your amazing prayers, while they might wish they could pray like you, you have to know that fake prayers offered to people don't impress God and they are not rewarded or answered by Him. Look, I just wonder if this is one of the reasons that some of us don't see God answering more of our prayers. Like, could it be that we're more concerned with showing off in prayer to impress other people than we are with simply bringing our requests to God? I mean, think about it like this. Um, Somebody asks you to pray for them in a public setting. What's your true desire? Is your true desire to seek the heart of God on their behalf in hopes that God will move in that person's life in a mighty way? Or is your true desire to send that person away impressed with how amazing your prayer for them truly was? I'll take it a step further. Look, maybe you're the person that asks for prayer from other people in a public setting. What's your true desire in that moment? Is your true desire to have those people seek the heart of God on your behalf so that God might move in your life in a mighty way? Or is your true desire to gain the attention of those people through the prayer request that you're sharing with them? Look, these are such important questions that all of us in the room need to wrestle with. And why? Well, because according to Jesus, when religious hypocrisy creeps into your prayer life, you miss out on experiencing all that prayer is and has to offer. And your only reward is this. People will be impressed with you. Look, knowing this is true, how in the world do you and I pray in the right way? Like, how can we pray in a way that honors God and leads us to prayer's reward? Well, here's the bad news. I can't answer that question fully for us today. 
The answer is too big. But the good news is this. Over the next four weeks, we're going to answer that question in a very detailed, practical manner. You see, this summer, you're basically getting a series within a series. Uh, Out of the seven weeks of Best Sermon Ever, five of the weeks are on prayer. So I really want to encourage you to be back over the next several weeks for these messages. I know it's summer, and we're busy, and we're going out of town, so if you have to miss... Just be sure to catch up online. This is such an important conversation, all right? But but I will tell you that Jesus begins pointing us toward right prayer in our passage for today. Look at verse 6 with me. Check out what he says. He says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the big idea of verse 6. What does right prayer look like? Well, Jesus tells us that right prayer is prayer that begins in secret. Right prayer is prayer that happens when you shut the door, when you get alone, and when you pray privately to God. Now, some of us might ask this question. Well, James, does that mean that we should shut down public prayer? Well, no, that's not what it means. And how do I know that? Well, we see examples of public prayer happening all throughout the New Testament. The early church, they prayed in a public manner. Even Jesus and his disciples prayed in in public ways and in public settings. You see, Jesus' instruction instead in verse 6 should simply remind us of this. That public prayer should always be preceded by and informed by private prayer. In other words, listen, don't miss it. In other words, the key in overcoming religious hypocrisy in prayer is to spend time in private prayer. By spending time in private prayer, you overcome the temptation to pray prayers in public for the sole purpose of impressing other people. Are you with me? And so it's so important that that we do this. Let me ask you a big important question in light of this truth. Does your private prayer life exceed your public prayer life? Such an important question. Let me ask it again. Does your private prayer life exceed your public prayer life? Like, do you spend more energy, more passion, more effort, more time in public prayer seeking the heart of God than you do in public prayer? Or is it the reverse for you? Like, are you that person that that prays in public settings any chance you get, yet you barely spend any time behind closed doors praying and seeking the heart of God? Such an important question, and the reason is simple. Look, if you are failing to spend time in private prayer... I'm just telling you, man, you are in constant danger of praying prayers publicly that could fall into the category of religious hypocrisy. And if you do that, you will miss out on the greatest reward that prayer offers you. Jesus tells us when we pray privately, God rewards us. What is the greatest reward of prayer? We're going to talk all about the rewards of prayer over the next four weeks, but what's the greatest reward of prayer? Well, I want to tell you about that one today. Here it is if you take notes. Ready? It's this. The greatest reward that prayer offers us is access to the presence of God. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, the Bible tells us that because of the blood that Jesus shed at the cross on our behalf, that you and I as sinful, broken people can walk directly into the presence of God without fear, without shame, and we can speak with confidence to Him. This is unbelievable. Look, before the cross, that was impossible. The average person couldn't just walk into the presence of God and and carry on a conversation. If they wanted to access God, they would have to go through a priest in order to do so. 
But that's not the same for us any longer. Praise God that, that Jesus, our risen Savior, as the Bible teaches, is now our great high priest. He's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. It's his sacrifice that has opened the way for us to have direct access to the presence of God. I mean, think about how unreal this is. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can speak to the God of the universe. And he will actually bend in our direction and listen to what we have to say. He's not far off. He's not too busy. We don't have to to text him or leave a voicemail and wait on him to get back. When we speak, the God of the universe, the one who has created all things and is holding all things together, he listens. And not only does he listen, he responds. Pastor Warren Wearsby rightly said that prayer is a miracle. R.C. Sproul, another pastor and and author, said that prayer is the creature speaking to his sovereign creator. Church, I'm just telling you, if you hope to experience all that prayer is, you cannot ever lose perspective on the fact that this is the greatest reward that prayer offers you. Look, maybe you're the person in the room going, well, James, that's cool and all, bro. Jesus talks, awesome, get it, presence of God, yeah, that, that is pretty amazing, Um, But James, I just need to know how to get God to answer my prayers. Like maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, I got some stuff going on in my life right now. James, can you just tell me how to be sure that I'm praying in the right way for the right stuff so that my prayers will actually make a difference? Look, if that's you, I'm going to just say, show up over the next four weeks. All right, don't worry. Quit worrying. Come back and listen in. We're going to answer those questions. But I would also say to you in love, look, please don't miss it. If you miss that this is the greatest reward of prayer, none of your other questions about prayer matter. And here's why. Because as long as you miss this, you will always be tempted to use prayer not to access more of God, but only those things you want from him. And if your ultimate goal in prayer is not to gain more of God, but just more of his stuff, I'm telling you, prayer will never be a rewarding experience for you. 1 John 3.22 tells us this, that that God only answers the prayers of those who obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And can I just be honest as your pastor and tell you that I have never met the person doing what pleases God, obeying all his commandments, while wanting less of him and more of his stuff. Listen, before we uh, wrap up in a few minutes, I want us to go back to our passage because Uh, Jesus, he has one final thing to say to us about how not to pray, all right? Uh, We're going to pick back up verse 7. Read this with me. He goes on, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the Gentile people that Jesus is referring to in verse 7, these were pagan people known for praying long, repetitious prayers to their pagan gods. And the reason they did it was simple. They truly believed that the more words they used in prayer or the more they repeated a certain prayer, that the more magical their prayer would become, making it more likely that their God would respond. If you want a picture of this, get your Bibles out this week and, uh, and read 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a free one at the connection desk on your way out. Just ask for one. We'd love to give you that as a gift. But 1 Kings chapter 18, in that chapter, we find the Old Testament prophet Elijah basically squaring off in a battle of the gods, if you will, with the uh, the prophets of the false god Baal. They're on top of this mountain, and they build individual altars to their gods. 
And then they pray and they ask their gods to send fire in order to identify whose God is the, the true God. Well, the Bible tells us that from morning until noon, these false prophets of Baal, they prayed the same prayer over and over. Oh, Baal, answer us. Hours and hours of oh, Baal, answer us. As if they believed that by repeating the prayer uh, more often and with more passion and with more urgency that, that he might just respond. Look, in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying to us, as his followers, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. And, and why? Well, because we have to understand that long, repetitious prayers are not required to gain God's attention. Can I just free some of us up today? Look, if you know Jesus, you are a loved son or daughter of God, which means that you have God's attention. And not only do you have his attention, but he knows what you need from him before you ever ask. Isn't that amazing? Look, if you're a parent in the room, um, you will have experienced what I'm about to describe. All right, my daughter Rowan, she's about to be four years old. She is famous for saying my name about 150 times before she wants to tell me something, right? Daddy, 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 daddy. She's trying to get my attention. And I'll finally say to her, Rowan, hey, baby, I'm listening. What, what is it? And then she'll say my name about 150 more times after I've already told her I'm listening. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Parents in the room, that'll drive you crazy, won't it? What do you want from your kid in a moment like that? Don't you want your child to just recognize that they have your attention and to say to you what they want to say? Look, I truly believe that it's the same with God. He's our Father. And he loves us more than we could ever comprehend. And he wants us to know that we have his attention. And I truly believe the heart of God for us in prayer is this. That we would speak to him. That we would share our hearts with him. That we would ask from him what we need without feeling the need to pray long, repetitious, pagan-like prayers. Now listen, maybe there are a few of us in the room who know our Bibles really well. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, James, if that's true, like... But what about that parable that Jesus told in Luke 18 about prayer? Remember that widow, James, that, that just kept asking over and over and over again for what she wanted until she finally got it? Look, if you're unfamiliar with the story, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version quickly, okay? In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story of this widowed woman who had this enemy that had wronged her. And so she goes to this ungodly judge and she asks the judge to hand out justice on her behalf. Well, this guy refuses, and so what does this widow do? Well, she doesn't give up. She actually keeps going back. And, and she asks and she asks and she asks until this judge finally wears down and gives her what she wants. And Jesus' point in telling that story was simple. He was teaching us to persist in prayer and to not give up. He says, look, if that ungodly judge would give that woman what she wanted because of her persistence, how much more will your heavenly Father answer you? Now, if we're not careful, we might think that Jesus is contradicting himself by saying in one place to persist in prayer and to keep on asking while saying in Matthew 6, hey, don't worry about praying long, repetitious prayers because uh, you have God's attention and he knows what you need before you ever ask. But can I just tell you why Jesus isn't contradicting himself? Please don't miss it. Look, because in both of those passages, he's simply addressing the attitude of the heart and prayer. This is Jesus' goal in all of his teachings. He didn't set out in teaching to correct behavioral issues. He set out to, to correct heart issues. And why? Well, because all behavior ultimately flows from the heart. 
And in both of these passages, that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to correct a wrong heart in prayer. So stick with me and, and let me tell you how both of these passages are really saying the same thing. All right, here you go. Look, have you ever uh, been tempted to stop praying for someone or something because you felt like nothing was changing and that your prayers didn't really matter? Like, what's the point? I've been praying forever and nothing's happened. You ever been there? I think if we were honest, most of us would say, yeah, I've been there. Here's what Jesus is saying to you in Luke 18. You ready? He's saying, don't you lose heart. Don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. You persist in prayer and you know God is listening. It might take 20 years of praying for your spouse or your family member to put their faith in Jesus. It might take 15 years of you begging God before you see your prodigal son or daughter come back home. It might take 10 years of praying before your friend finally breaks free from that addiction that's wrecking their life. It might take five years of you getting on your knees every day and praying over that sin that just has you by the throat to, to, to finally gain freedom from that thing. Jesus is saying, don't lose heart. Keep praying and know that God is listening. But look, on the other hand, have you ever known you needed to pray for something or someone, but you could barely find the words to speak in prayer? Here's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. It's okay. It's okay. You have God's attention. He knows what you need before you ever ask him. You don't need a ton of words. You don't need a ton of words when you're praying for your spouse or your family member to come to Jesus. You don't need a ton of words when when you're asking God to bring your prodigal son or daughter back home. You don't need a ton of words when you're praying for your friend to break free of that addiction or or for you to break free of that sin problem in your life. You don't need a ton of words when you're asking God to restore your broken marriage. You just need to make sure you're offering God your heart. Look, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? Even if you're not taking notes, find something to write on. Get your phone up. Write this down. What matters in prayer is not your words, but your heart behind your words. Let me just say that again. What matters in prayer is not your words, but the heart behind your words. Look at me. It doesn't matter if you're persisting like the poor widow or if you can barely find words to speak in the presence of God. All that matters in prayer is the attitude of your heart. Here's how we're going to close today. The band, they're going to come back out in just a moment. And they're going to sing a song that many of us are familiar with. And as they do, I just want to challenge us to set our hearts on God in prayer. Maybe you want to sit in your seat and just pray where you are. Maybe you want to kneel at your chair. Uh, Maybe some of us want to come to the front of this room and just bow down in the presence of God. Feel free to use this space if you want to. Maybe some of us want to stand and, and sing this song with the band as our prayer to God. However God's leading you in the next few moments, I just invite you to say yes to him. I want to invite us now just to bow our heads and close our eyes all over the room. God, I just want to thank you first and foremost. Because of Jesus, we can talk to you right now. We can experience your presence. We can know that you're listening to us. And I'm just asking that in the next few moments, God, that that you would help us to set our hearts on you. God, some of us in the room, we might need to persist like that widow. God, just give us the heart we need to keep praying, to not give up, to not throw in the towel. 
God, for those of us who, who can barely find words to speak right now because of whatever's going on in life, help us to know that it's okay, God. In the next few moments, would you just move in our lives in ways that only you can? God, may your Holy Spirit sweep through this room in power. God, we're just praying that you would have your way in us. God, restore the broken, heal the hurting, offer hope to the hopeless. I pray that you would bring the prodigal and the lost back to yourself today. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name and in his name alone. Amen.